Welcome to Machine Learning. Well, decorators. Decorators in Python are really interesting. Um, it has to do with kind of the strange world of Python programming. Uh, it requires the knowledge of nesting programming functions because you have to create a wrapper and then the wrapper allows you to um, return it as the parent function to the object function and in that uh, that wrapper then would call the, the function the user defined function that you want uh, the decorator to um, to do so for example if you it, it's basically acts like an override um, because you can you can intercept the parameters that are going into the function that you're wrapping and you can do things like you can double the value or you could uh, do validation check to see if if um, certain values were in the uh, in the parameters and so uh, decorators can be used that way but they also could do some transformations like I've been thinking about how in machine learning we build these pipelines but you could actually have some decorators that do different things like normalize uh, maybe do some dimension reduction um, check the area under the curve uh, use some Pearson correlation you know there's a lot of, of ideas here that uh, we could make things simpler and yet provide lots of functionality in the form of a decorator especially when you have like a data frame that could be passed in and uh, and uh, and you could then uh, you can treat functions like objects so you could use a, a switch statement or you know like a mapping function to map to specific functions and then return that that function back as an object so it, it really is powerful in terms of Python's thought process uh, for how to handle functions and that gets pretty close to the idea that the data is or the function the functionality is in the data and so you can treat the this these functional pieces of code just like data you can pass them around to other functions so a function can receive a, a function call you can put functions in a list you can put functions in a dictionary and so you could have a lot of behavior in your system that is defined as functional that is uh, being treated and, and handled as if it were data. And so there's a lot of intelligence that can be programmed into your code. I, I'm almost thinking like uh, that, that there might be some possibilities here where you, you can uh, uh, build reusable code sets as decorators and then uh, and then have them uh, do the transformations on the pipeline as a decorator. 
uh, that might be an interesting idea, <clears throat> you know, to uh, maybe do some cross-validation as a decorator and, uh, or you could do, like we talked about normalizations, you could do some standardization, dimensional reduction, maybe even do run a, a K-means or a logistic regression as a decorator, um, where you have a, just a class and, and, uh, and then all the components in there are passed over. So one of the things that, uh, you have to understand is how closures work and closures are kind of a strange little beast because what the closures does is it, it, it the interpreter looks at all the non-local variables that the function will need and if it does not it does not find it it creates that variable in the closure and so you can go look at the closure and see what the cell value for that uh, variable is. And so you can cycle through each one of the variables that uh, the closure builds and, and look at its value. So, for example, if you have a global function um, and, and it's being referenced inside of a function, then a closure is built um, that holds that value and uh, let, let's say if you have a, a parent function and the child function calls the parent function's variable, then a closure is built there. So um, closures are very important to, for the decorators. You need nested functions for your decorator. You need a wrapper, um, and that wraps the the function. Functions can be treated like objects, and and then you you build the decorator class. All right, so that's kind of uh, the high level there. Um, employee retention also is an interesting idea that I've been thinking about. Uh, how do you find out the information related to uh, employee retention that affects their uh, affects their reasoning to stay with the company or their survivability with the company. Uh, one is their performance. You know, is that measured in terms of salary increases, bonuses, uh, number of certifications that are completed, possibly even uh, looking at health benefits. You know, if they had health benefits, would that be an incentive for them to stay? You would combine all this information and try to, in a logistic regression, model and try to get the features that are tightly correlated to making a prediction of whether the employee stays or goes. One thing that's interesting is um, that for employees that stay versus employees that uh, leave, it was interesting to know that um, in some cases when a study does some data on this, that uh, that there were not much differences in the features uh, between the two groups in terms of overall magnitude. Um, okay, so that's one thing. You, so you could treat that like kind of like customer churn. Because in customer churn, you, you're looking 
at uh, recency, frequency, and monetarization as the most incentives <clears throat> for staying with a company. As an employee, you're probably looking at things like uh, benefits and things like that uh, and trying to find the key feature that is keeping people the most happy. One that I've heard that a lot of people want is recognition. And uh, you know, I re when I read about the millennials on their recognition, it was a small uh, amount of money each year that they wanted in terms of recognition. And the other thing is they wanted to uh, see career mobility and have kind of a career path for them to follow. And um, they were very concerned about the economy. And so they wanted to make sure that there was certain quality of life um, guarantees in the work area. You know, I, I, I've liked it when, um, for example, when I worked in a company and there's been lower cost of food items there it was cheaper to eat on campus than to eat off campus. And that was kind of a neat uh, perk, I guess you would say. It was kind of exciting to be able to uh, enjoy that benefit of working at the company. Others were enjoying the um, health gym, going and get some exercise, pull downs, and uh, doing sit-ups and getting on the treadmill for a little while. And uh, they also had a nice campus that you could walk around on. And so it had a, a good feel to the place environment. And those were some uh, strong incentives to want to stay and work for that company. When you look at satisfaction, it's interesting always to try to figure out what um, factors improve satisfaction. If I were to evaluate what uh, factors that are expected from employers, I would say the ability to communicate is very important. Uh, communication of ideas, communicate willingness to communicate with uh, the multiple groups that uh, are, are um, being affected in an organization. The ability to present a presentation in a way that's understandable to the group and also the ability to answer questions uh, so communication is very important uh, probably another one is uh, being able to be technically competent that's kind of a given I don't think you could stay in the programming field if you were not technically competent because it'd be so many so many disasters the other thing that I think is also important is uh, emotional intelligence, that you're just, you know, fairly in tune with other people's uh, emotion states and, you know, you acknowledge that emotion when you see it. So when people are happy, you acknowledge that they're happy. When they're sad, you acknowledge that they're sad. Um, and when they're angry, you acknowledge when they're angry. So they're... And probably also indifference, too. When they're bored, you acknowledge that they're uh, indifferent towards the subject matter. When I think of, like, machines that uh, can recognize drowsiness, to me, um, 
all the machine would have to do is measure the blink rate so it would detect okay I found the person's eyes what what do eyes look like and then do an edge detection algorithm in the convolution neural network on the eye and then uh, in real time signal uh, the blink rate so every time it blinks it would be a blink on uh, and then measure the frequency of blinks or the duration in which the eyes are closed so if an eye stays closed for two seconds then that might be an indication that the uh, user is getting drowsy or if the blink rates uh, get slower and longer that might also be an indication that the person's getting drowsy and so you could have um, a small solar powered AI device that you could put on your mirror with a little teeny camera and um, all it would have is maybe just a little speaker on it and it would watch you when you're driving and if you're if your eyes are looking not straightforward or looking down like perhaps you're texting it could it could warn you it could do, it warn you that you're distracted if uh, if your eyes uh, start blinking and you get uh, sleepy it could indicate that you're um, you're getting drowsy and that um, uh, that the, that your attention is decreasing. So it doesn't take over your car, but it could just watch your car, and um, it could be very cheap. Uh, probably could be manufactured and built for under uh, forty dollars, and so that might be a, a really marketable item that someone could build and uh, you know what was really amazing with uh, 3d printing and eventually 3d printing circuits is that you could print these circuits design them print them and other people could print the circuits assemble the electronics um, and I was watching this one YouTube where they uh, uh, they they didn't do any soldering so what they did is uh, there was kind of a, a template that they overlay and then they put this material on it and then they put another material over it and then they heat it and this uh, melts the material onto the soldering board onto the board and completes the the circuits uh, solders the circuits in, in effect and uh, I thought that was a really amazing idea because um, it uh, it suggests that uh, it suggests that the um, that you don't have to have soldering capability to build a circuit board. And then once you have your circuit board, you could connect that up, uh, put to your camera in, and plug that into uh, some adapter on the board and. And you've got, you know, you could you could have a a uh, solar uh, powered camera, and what you know you could use uh, small, uh, buy probably a small voltage, and that and that would be the key is that that the the solar would have to be strong enough that it could uh, power the. The circuits and then maybe have a little 
small battery inside there that uh, the electronics detects that if there's not enough current then it's supplemented with the battery current so those are things that uh, I think would um, be interesting uh, for drowsiness awareness.